So we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago, um, which was right after uh, the great amen, um, which uh, I always find comical. I had a wedding last night, uh, and uh, especially at weddings, there's a lot of people that haven't been to church for a while. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to a wedding, usually before Mass, everybody's just do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and the church is real loud. And then I start, the priest starts, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody's response is, Amen. I'm like, come on, people. <laughs> like, this is a joyful occasion. Like, an Amen. You know, <laughs> where everybody becomes Eeyore. <laughs> you know, anyway. Uh, I'm going to be a little squirrely today because I had a wedding last night and I was up late. So. So we're at the Our Father. We stand after the great amen. And we stand because we're now, at this moment, getting ready to address the Father. Now the words that the, the priest is given, um, he says, at the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say. Which is a reminder that even our prayer itself is a gift from God. It's not because we can claim sonship on our own. We are given that adoption through Christ to call God our Father. And furthermore, it is Christ who who said to us, to, when the apostles said, teach us how to pray, he said, this is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so this prayer that's on our lips is itself a gift. Then we start praying. And, and as you, you probably noticed, uh, I very much pay attention uh, to posture. So we're going to talk about posture during the Our Father. Now, there might be uh, a priest who encourage you to do it one way or to not do it another way. I'm just going to give you what the church has given me. I have a preference. I'm not going to tell you that preference because that's a preference. And that does, my preference does not matter. So what I'm going to communicate to you is what the church gives us, or doesn't. Now, this, this position, the Oron's position, within the celebration of the liturgy is a priestly position, a priestly posture. You'll see me do that throughout the mat, any priest. Do that throughout the Mass. Now, it's a, it's a prayer posture in general. It's an ancient prayer posture. St. Paul mentions it in one of his letters, to raise your holy hands. Right? To, 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 to lift, even the Psalms even talk about that. Like this posture, that's, it's even before the church. Like this posture of like raising hands up to God. 
So that's nothing new. But I think what we've noticed within the, the development of the, of, of the liturgy is that for the liturgy itself, that has become a priestly posture. Now, what does, the, what does the missal say? What does the book say with regards to the posture of the congregation? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it doesn't say a darn thing. <laughs> it doesn't say for you to do this with your hands. It doesn't say to do this. It doesn't say to do this. Like, it, do, it, just, it doesn't say anything. So that... that that leads us to two things, right? The church tells us when to stand, when to kneel. Like, it, it gives us certain, it gives the congregation and the priest, it tells the priest to extend his hands, to put his hand, like all of those things, I'm not just doing willy-nilly. I'm literally doing what it tells me to do. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, so where does this, where does this come from? And what is its purpose? And I invite you to really think about what that is. Do you remember when you first started that? Was it something that you've just known since you were a kid? I know for me, uh, my experience was that during the Our Father, we would, I would hold hands with my dad and my, my sister. I don't know why we did that. It, my dad would just take my hand and so be like, okay, I'm here. But I didn't have a reason for it. I don't know if my dad has a, had a reason for it. I never really asked him. And he's passed away, so I can't ask him now <laughs> what that reason is. But I can tell you this, right? The words themselves, as we speak them out loud as one community, when we say our Father, that itself is the unifying principle. Our voices. This is like a secondary, like, it's something we create that's not necessary. There's our voices itself. And we, if we listen, if we hear, we're, we're praying that as one community, we are all unified. And furthermore, I just want to like, break any, like, you, just because you might not hold hands with your family doesn't mean you don't love them. It also doesn't mean that the person next to you doesn't love you when you're like, and they're like, no, I think I'm not... It's not because they don't love you. Like, like, that's not it at all. So, like, it just, like, you can let that go. Like, the love is still there, very much so. And so I invite you, I, I invite you to think about that. And to make what, the posture that you have intentional. I've already, I've already talked about the prayer hands and why that's a, a powerful thing and the symbol behind that. But I, I, I don't want you to do something just because. Because this whole celebration of the liturgy is not a just because. It is very intentional, and every portion of it has purpose and has meaning.
not an invitation as it was for the, the posture for the, the preface dialogue. As, a, as an openness of our own hearts and hospitality for those who are visiting or those who haven't been to church in a long time and are not familiar with the holding of the hands or this, and that can easily alienate somebody. See, obviously I'm not part of this community because I don't do what they do. So if you choose a posture, like my invitation is to choose the prayer hands because that's safe for anyone and would be comfortable for anyone. Like I said before, I'm not going to like point out like, oh, you're not doing, like, not, again, like, you can make your own decisions. You are adults, most of you. <laughs> the altar servers, I tell them what to do, so. <laughs> uh, that was a bad joke, okay. Anyway, I'll move on. This, this Our Father, there's, there's so much that I want to tell you about the Our Father, but I just don't have the time. But it is the, our faith in miniature. Like every petition of the Our Father, Christ created and established to direct our hearts. So I encourage you, when you pray the Our Father, pay attention. As Catholics, we're so familiar with this, and it, and it can just slip off our tongue. But if I ask you to, to say the third petition, you'd be like, wait, our Father. Can, you have to kind of think about it. <laughs> you have to go through. Why? Probably because we haven't spent enough time. Maybe that be your meditation time, is to just sit with the Our Father and pray with the Our Father. Because it's super powerful, and it's, it's very challenging to us. Thy will be done? That means our will can't be done. Like, that's super... <laughs> I don't know if you realize, like, how it, like, intense that is of a, of a prayer. Like, thy will be done. That means we surrender our own will. This is the way I want it to be done. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So we pray for God's mercy in as much as we are merciful. Ooh. That's, those are hard things to receive. And if we, but if we pray them with attention, our hearts can be transformed. I was talking with the, the, our CCD class. One of the intentions in prayer in general is for us to be converted to turn back to the Lord. And this Our Father prayer is a prayer that does that. Oh yeah. Then it continues with, it's called the embolism. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> that's the prayer that the priest prays after the Our Father. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days. Right, so he's praying this prayer for the church that we be delivered from all evil physical evil moral evil spiritual evil that's, that's a lot of evil and it's constantly encroaching upon us 
graciously grant peace in our days. And that peace, right, is Christ. Grant us the grace to be with Christ. It's not necessarily the end of conflict, but is rather the deep and abiding relationship with God. That no matter what happens, good, bad, or ugly, we are close to him. That by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin. And safe from all distress. The priest is praying that for the whole church at every mass. That means we are being thought of, specifically in our distress, specifically in our trials, specifically in our difficulties. Sometimes you come to church, and and we have the benefit, I think, here, because we're so small, that we can be seen, because there's only so many of us. But sometimes you go to church and you don't feel like you're seen. But just because we don't feel like we're seen doesn't mean that we're not. Because we are. And we have to be reminded of that. As we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, it also lifts us up, brings us towards our end so that we can be like these five wise virgins awaiting the coming of the Lord. And then the congregation responds in this this acclamation of joy. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. He has all the power. He's God, and we are not. And then the priest continues with hands extended. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, look not on our sins. Because we all come here with our own baggage. But on the faith of your church, we also come with a desire to grow closer to the Lord and trust in him, or we would not be here. That he look not on our brokenness, not on our, but on the faith that we have. And isn't it always good to be seen not by the stupidness that we've done, but by the good that God has done in us? Again, you are seen. He recognizes you. And he loves you deeply. And graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay. Then the priest says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And you respond. Okay. This is an audience participation homily. Then we have the sign of peace. Now, the sign of peace originates from Scripture, 
In one of Jesus' uh, preachings, he says, before you go to the altar, if, you have anything, if your brother has anything against you, first, go and reconcile with your brother. And then, bring your, altar, your, your sacrifice to the altar. And so this sign of peace, right before we see, receive communion, is this opportunity for us to let the other person know that they are part of the community. To be the gift of Christ to them. And to remind them that they are in communion. And for us also to receive that from others. Now the church's recommendation is that, because you know, uh, some of you have super magnanimous hearts. And you want everybody to know that they're seen. That is wonderful. That is beautiful. I love that. But in this moment, this moment is your opportunity to let those right next to you know God's peace. Know the communion of the church. Great, thankfully, you are not alone. And so you, by yourself, don't need to let the whole church know that they have peace and they have communion. <laughs> Trust that somebody else will let the other person know. Like to let that go. And just greet those directly next to you. That's why you notice that I usually, uh, I say the sign of peace and I'm not like going everywhere. Because first of all, I said peace be with you, which means, <laughs> you know, I already gave it to everybody. Um, but there's nobody next to me. If there was somebody next to me, I would... But I'm not going to, like, uh, because it can easily, that can easily turn, like, from this bringing us, prepare us for communion, it can just turn us into, like, having a conversation or focusing, like, to the person, to the detriment of, of what this is intended to be. It can kind of pull us away. I noticed that especially, uh, I was chaplain at an all-girls high school, at Cabrini High School for five years. And y'all, these girls during Mass, would they, I couldn't get them to say amen. <laughs> but the sign of peace was like, was like a, 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 a volcano erupted. <laughs> you know, like, like, it was just, it was just, the, 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 there was a disconnect. Right? In that moment, it's just to, to, be, to be very simple and direct with those that are directly around you. And to let this be a way to lead your brothers and sisters, your neighbors, to deeper communion. This is wonderful. Okay. Okay. And at this point, uh, after that happens, you'll see me go to the tabernacle to get the the uh, reposed sacrament, and then the, the Lamb of God will start. And we'll talk about that in a second. But there's a prayer that I pray, or the priest rather prays. Um, after he comes back, you'll see that he breaks the bread. Just as Christ did, right? The, the, supper, the night before he died, he broke bread, gave it to his disciples, and said... Right, so the priest will break the bread, and then he'll break off a little portion of the host and put that in the chalice. And when he does that, he prays a little prayer. He says, 
May this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring, bring eternal life to us who receive it. So that through our reception of communion, we can grow closer to heaven. And the Lamb of God starts, right? Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. It's this final remind. well, there's a, one more, but one of the, the, another reminder that everything that we have is from God and is a gift and we are in need of his mercy and we are in need of his grace. It's this constant turning to him in humility. And then the, the, uh, the priest prays another secret prayer. There are two options, but this prayer, y'all, this is one of my favorite prayers in the whole of the Mass. And he prays it under his breath. I'll read you the option that I pray every time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who by the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit, through your death gave life to the world, free me by this, your most holy body and blood, from all my sins and from every evil. Keep me always faithful to your commandments and never let me be parted from you. It's this prayer that the church gives to the priest to remind him again of his own weakness, of his own brokenness, of his deep and abiding need for Christ, and that his priesthood is intimately connected with his celebration of the liturgy. And his reception of communion helps him to make him holy and to purify him. Help him to imitate Christ, who is the servant of servants. And then everybody kneels again. This act of surrender. And the priest will raise the host, or raise the host in the chalice. Both of those are options. And he'll say, the words of St. John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which is this reference, first of all, to the Old Testament, to the sacrificial lamb that was offered for the atonement of the sins of Israel on the night of the Passover. But it's also a reference to the book of Revelation John has this vision of a lamb that is slain yet standing on the altar of God. And it is this lamb that delivers the people who is able to open the seven seals and bring about the salvation of the world. So behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the lamb. Hear that, right? The supper of the Lamb. This is not too different than the, than the wedding feast that we hear in the gospel today. We heard it for a few weeks ago about the, uh, the, about the landowner who had, who had a party for his, uh, you know, a wedding feast for his son, and he invited all of his friends, and they said, no, I just got a wife, or I just got a cow, or this other thing that's going on. I can't go. And so he sends out his servants to all of these people, 
He says, go to the highways and the byways and just invite everybody that you can find. And then the, the, he, he shows up to the, to the wedding feast and there's this guy who doesn't have a, the proper garment. And he kicks him out. Right? Because he was invited, but he wasn't prepared to receive it. We'll talk about that in a moment. He has called us here. I don't think we realize that sometimes, that the reason that we're here isn't merely because we, were, we chose to come. We're also here because he drew us here, because he, in his divine providence, desired for us to be here in this moment. Ooh, okay. And then we respond, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Oh, no, I wasn't expecting you to respond. <laughs> Those are the words of the centurion, right? The centurion calls Jesus and says, can you heal my slave? And then he sends out other servants. Um, he doesn't feel worthy enough to even welcome Jesus into his home. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now, the beauty of that in the English language is that not, it's a reference to this, par- this story of the centurion, but we also anatomically call the top of our mouths the roof of our mouth. <laughs> Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Ah. But only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Because this, this gift is a gift. It's not something that Jesus owes us. It's not something that we've earned. It's something that he gives us. Okay. Let me get into communion. I promise him we're going to Dive into mother stuff. Some practicals with regards to communion. Kind of changed a little bit the way that we receive communion. Everybody comes up the middle. It, it's easiest to just kind of like feed in the middle. I know it can be, especially if you're, you're on the front end, to be like, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's okay. Everybody just kind of file in. Um, you don't want to be too, too polite. Um, but yeah, everybody comes to the middle to receive. Now, when you receive, the church has given us two options to receive Holy Communion. The first is on the tongue. If you choose to receive on the tongue, I would suggest to open your mouth wide enough for me to actually get the Eucharist in there. Um, Coin slots are very difficult. So like, because right, it's really hard sometimes <laughs> for the minister to like get that in there if it's like, like, <laughs> like you know, I almost want to hear a ding, like, you know, uh, get a little gumball. No, sorry. Uh, but, right, so to, 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 to make that um, so that you're receiving, um, and, and it just makes it easier for the minister. If you're receiving on the hands, uh, if you're 
left-handed, uh, if you're right-handed or any-handed, put your less dominant hand underneath and your dominant hand on top and make a shelf. See, flat. If your hand is like this, I don't know how to put Jesus in. Like, I get, it gets really hard. Now, sometimes <laughs> arthritis can't do anything. You can't do anything about that. You can't do anything about that. Whatever. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll adapt. But for those of you who don't have that, like, make it out like this. Now, if you have, for instance, a child or a, a cane, and it just becomes difficult and you only have one hand, that terrifies me. That's just a personal like, thing that terrifies me. Because, like, can I go like this and, like, like how do you... Like, it, like Jesus is dancing in the hand, and I'm just like, I'm, all I'm imagining is Jesus falling on the floor. Not because you don't love Jesus, not because you don't, it's just, it's really hard practically to do that with one hand. So my recommendation, take it or leave it, is when you have things, your hands are occupied otherwise to receive on the tongue. And for some of you, you're old enough to remember when you, know, when you experienced that as a kid. For some of you, you've never experienced that before. And it might seem um, like disgusting or daunting. For me, and this is just, this is, this is just me, Father Kyle speaking, it, it was, it's super humbling to be fed. Like, that I'm not taking this, but that is, I'm totally receiving this as a gift. Hello to those who are listening. As you probably noticed, the microphone died. This was, uh, homily was given at the 8.30 Mass, and I forgot to record the 10.30 Mass. So, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to preach to you. Uh, uh, so that you can get the rest of the content of the homily uh, from there. So we talked about receiving the Eucharist. Um, and I ended with that, that idea of, if, if you want to receive on the tongue, have this idea of like being fed. Uh, of that, that super humbling, recognizing that the Eucharist is, is a gift, that I cannot take it. Uh, I also reminded everybody not to uh, to overdrink for the precious blood, because that's like super important <laughs> uh, to to remember that the precious blood is there for the whole congregation, and it's more it's better to take a sip. And getting from the practical to the more spiritual, which I guess is also practical in a certain sense, but is a lot, a lot more difficult to perceive. There are four graces that the Catechism talks about when we receive the Eucharist. The first one is that it augments our union with Christ. What does that mean? It changes our relationship with Him. It deepens it. It helps us to grow deeper into Him and through Him deeper into the life of the Trinity. 
The way that I usually try to explain this uh, to our First Communion children is uh, when we talk about food. Food, when we eat food, it becomes part of us. If, if we have a carrot, we eat that carrot and we swallow it and then our digestive tract breaks down all of the different nutrients and sends those nutrients to the different parts of the body that need it. And so that carrot literally becomes part of us. What we are, what we eat. That's why I look like I eat a lot of pizza. <laughs> Here's the thing. When we receive the Eucharist, the opposite is the case. Instead of the Eucharist and Christ becoming part of us, we become part of Him. We are absorbed deeper into His life. We are drawn deeper into relationship with Him. If we allow it, if we let Him do what He wants to do in us, when we receive the Eucharist, it augments our our union with Him, and that we can become deeper, entrenched in love of Him. The second grace is that it separates us from sin. The Eucharist has the special grace to wipe away our venial sins. It blew my mind the first time I read that. I had been Catholic for like, I don't know, I might have even been a priest. I must have not paid in class or paid attention in class at that moment. Or maybe it was while I was in class studying about the Eucharist. Like it blew my mind. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it blew my mind. Like it wipes away our venial sins. Why? So that we can grow closer to Christ. It, it helps us in augmenting our union with Him. Now that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to confession for those sins. We should, because there's specific graces to help protect us from repeating those. Especially if they're sins that we repeat often. And it also gives us the grace to preserve us from future sin. It gives us the grace to not do those things again. Again, by drawing us closer to Him. The deeper that we're in relationship with Him, the less that we want those things that are going to hurt us and destroy the life of God in us and pull us away from Him, because that's what sin is. Sin is the choice to turn away from God. The third gift is that it unifies the church. So not only do we enter into deeper communion with God, we also entered into deeper communion with each other. Like, what a gift. Just imagine if our brothers and sisters in the Middle East converted to Christ and all went to communion together. Israeli and Palestinian Arab and American, every tribe and every nation unified under the one banner of the cross.
That's not just a hope, that is the heavenly kingdom. So the heavenly kingdom is, becomes, is drawn deeper into the life of earth when we receive communion. Think about that with regards to, you know, maybe somebody that you don't like. They go to church every Sunday, as, you, as do you. Think about that when you receive communion, that the Lord, that he, may, that he may make those divisions cease. That he bring families back together and community. And then the final grace is that it commits us to the poor. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that just as we learn to grow grow deeper in love with Christ through the Eucharist, it also orients us towards love of our neighbor, especially those who are most need, the poor, the needy, the broken, those that are on the fringes. The Eucharist gives us the grace to love deeper and to, to be to pull away from our selfishness and our pride and our fear and to give ourselves for the sake of others. Now this gift of the Eucharist is so important. But it is a gift. And there is a prerequisite for that gift. In order for us to be to receive communion, we must be in communion with the Lord. Which means that we, if we have committed mortal sin, which separates us from God, not just in a, in a temporary or partial way, but in a full way, and when we commit mortal sin, we reject the life of God in us. And we are no longer in communion with him. So if we're no longer in communion with him, we cannot try to falsify or, or try to deepen that communion when it doesn't exist. And the only one who can restore that communion is him through the sacrament of reconciliation. So if you come to Mass, which please do, even if you're in the state of mortal sin, please come to Mass. There's so many other graces that are being poured out upon you. But it is, it is very much important to come. But if you're in that state of mortal sin, then I encourage you, please do not receive communion. Go to confession as soon as you can. Be reconciled with God and the church that you may again grow into deeper union with them. St. Paul says that in, in the scriptures, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says that if we come in that way, then we eat our own condemnation. It's like a big deal. And then finally, I, as a kid, 
after I received communion, I really didn't know what to, and even as a teenager, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I would, uh, I would, I would kind of occupy myself by looking at everybody's shoes as they went up for communion. I don't know why. I'm just curious about their shoes. I don't even, like, yeah, I don't know what that was. But I, that, that what I would do to kind of occupy myself. And you can easily find yourself like, okay, we have these five, seven, depending on the size of the church, maybe even more minutes. What do we do? Well, that is the opportunity, either by, you know, participating in singing the communion hymn or in silent prayer and talking before the Lord, just to give Him thanks for the gift of Himself. That He's doing all this work to draw us closer to Himself and the deep love that He has for us. And that time is this time and opportunity for us just to receive His love. If you need a help to guide with that, open up the back of the glory and praise. Pray Father Amal's favorite prayer, which is the Anima Christi. There are a whole host of other prayers. Uh, one of my favorites is the prayer after communion uh, by St. Thomas Aquinas, which you can Google. It's awesome. But that time is this time of opportunity to just dwell with the Lord, to be with Him. And so I encourage you, the next time that you go to Mass, let that time be a time of communion and prayer. <laughs>